0: Hello dear friends, welcome to The Midweeks. This is my first recording that I'm doing in the new year. Uh, it won't be the first publishing, there's usually a week or two uh, lag between when I record one of these things and, and post it. So just so you know the ins and outs, but it's great to be here with you and we're going to continue in 2 Samuel. Um, the last time we, I was here, this was before Christmas and New Year's for me, uh, we read the story of David Bathsheba which is one of the worst turn of events in all of biblical history. Seems small, but it's going to have lasting consequences for generations. And chapter 11 ended with David thinking he was getting away with stuff by having Uriah killed. But with these ominous words, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So now we're going to see the Lord... Respond to David's activities. And even while I'm saying that, it, it just does notice to me, you know, one of the things that chapter 11 had conspicuously absent was any kind of prayer. David is known for being a man of prayer, for seeking the Lord at every decision, but once he makes the decision to invite Bathsheba to his house, he's a prayerless man. And so God has patiently been watching and waiting, which is again its own discussion about everything God let David do before he intervened prophetically. God's sovereign and working out his own plans in the midst of human activity but now is the time when God is going to intervene in David's life and so it happens like this chapter 12 starting verse 1 and the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him there were two men in a certain city the one rich and the other poor the rich man had very many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children and he used to eat it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and it was like a daughter to him now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him then david's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to nathan as the lord lives the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing and because he had no pity. All right, so we're not totally sure what happened with Nathan here, but it seems pretty safe to guess that the Lord had talked to Nathan and given him a parable and revealed to him what had happened. Now, that's not necessarily true because Nathan's a court prophet, and so he's around, and he may have even heard all this stuff happening and just put two and two together not totally sure but one way or another Nathan's correct he knows what's going on and he sets a trap for David by telling him this story and we're kind of unaware even if David knows it's a parable, because of his response where he declares a judgment on this guy to pay fourfold, it sounds like even though Nathan's telling a parable, and it sounds like a parable, there once were two men, you know, it sounds like a story. David hears it as a real thing and pronounces judgment over the story. And it's, it's, it's a setup to try to... get david to realize that the stealing of the lamb was wrong and to pronounce his own judgment on himself and then once the setup happens nathan springs the trap now that david has sat in judgment on this person who took the lamb sitting in judgment on himself nathan springs the trap in verse 7 nathan said to david you are the man thus says the lord the god of israel i anointed you king over israel and i delivered you out of the hand of saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And as if, as if, and if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Okay, so here we have the spring, and I think this answers my question. God was probably talking to Nathan because Nathan is ready with the the pronunciation of the Lord right there. And so, whatever Nathan knew before, he had in his back pocket the word of the Lord to David here. And the Lord rebukes David because. The, David had received so much generosity from the Lord in every kind of way that, you know, a king of old could ever want. Uh, his old master's house and wives and everything. And God says, I, if, if you'd come and complain to me, I could have added even more, uh, more houses, uh, more wives even, though that wasn't a good thing. But um, God was working with it. God was just saying, like, this didn't happen because I was, you had exhausted my generosity towards you. Verse 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So really great here is that God, God, we see, cuts right through any mental gymnastics David could be doing to defend himself. Well, I didn't do it. You know, it was the Ammonites who did it. No, no David... God knows exactly what you did you absolutely murdered Uriah you just used somebody else to do it but you engineered a situation where he would die and this is all your responsibility so a good reminder that the Lord sees through all of our excuses right to the heart and judges our hearts verse 10 now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife So the big thing here is that uh, David turned away from the Lord in this, these actions and the first speech of judgment comes here that the sword will never depart from your house. So this is a judgment and this reminds us of um, the judgment that came on Eli's house where he didn't restrain his sons. And so God pronounced a judgment on Eli because of that. And that judgment even is fulfilled even as late as first Kings later on. Um, But David has earned himself a generational consequence for what he did. There's going to be warfare and there's going to be swords. And the most immediate sense of this is going to be his son Absalom's um, uh, rebellion against him, his armed rebellion against him. Verse 12, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before Israel and before the son. Sorry, 11, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did this secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun so this is amazing super severe not as severe as David deserves he deserves to die but very severe that he stole someone else's wife and so he has invited an increased retribution of having not only his wife stolen from him but what he did in secret is going to be done in public verse 13 david said to nathan i have sinned against the lord so right away his heart is struck and he realized that he sinned and nathan said to david the lord also has put away your sin you shall not die okay so right away as soon as he confesses there's this acknowledgement that he's going to be forgiven verse 14 nevertheless because by this deed you have utterly scorned the lord the child who is born to you shall die okay so let's stop there so there's there's some stuff to go in here um So God is going to do poetic justice against David and this is something to learn about the Lord. One of the reasons we're doing this this is to learn about the character of the Lord and God is not only God of justice but he's a God of poetic justice and so the punishment, the discipline that David's going to endure is going to be in the same line as what he did. There's going to be because he used the sword, the sword's going to be used against him. Because he stole a wife, his wives are going to be taken. But there's an intensification of it because David was king. And he, um, he had such a high standard because God had been so generous with him. There's going to be an intensification of the punishment there. One thing that's interesting in verse 13, where Nathan says, The Lord has put away your sins, you shall not die. That That's a theologically loaded statement because david hasn't offered a sacrifice yet he hasn't even offered for forgiveness yet he's just confessed his sin but god has come to david saying i've already put away your sins so that you might not die and this is a point where people will point to this is a, a part of the story where it seems like god is revealing his anticipation of christ here because nothing has happened that would put away the sin there's been no sacrifice david hasn't even until this second even realized what he's done or apologized but god came to david where ready to put away his sin ready to cover up his sin so that he shall not die um, instead just to give him a severe discipline and so theologians and bible readers would say this looks like the revelation that god is looking to christ even for the forgiveness of sins in the old testament how did god put away david's sins well in romans chapter 3 it says that god forbore even sins of the past waiting for the death of christ Um, he maintained his righteousness in the old days by forgiving but with an eye to the death of christ the death of jesus is the ultimate sacrifice that really does earn Um, satisfy God's justice that propitiates our sins and earn our forgiveness. That was all Jesus's sacrifice. And so when you have the story in the Old Testament where David is forgiven, even though nothing's happened yet, it looks like God is revealing that there is a later sacrifice that he's already giving forgiveness to his elect because of. That's what it looks like. And I think that makes sense to me. How can the Lord say, I've already put away your sin when nothing's happened, well, it's because God is already looking to the sacrifice of Christ. And He's He's saved David on account of the son of David who would come and die for his sins later on. And so you can read Romans 3 if you want to read through that yourself. Alright, but there is going to be consequences. So you might remember David said about the guy who stole the sheep, he's going to pay fourfold for what he did, verse six, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and he had no pity. And so David pronounces on this imaginary person, a fourfold consequence. And if you track it as the story unfolds, there are actually gonna be four sons of David that die unnaturally. So it sounds like God took David up on this, his own judgment. He judged himself with his own mouth. And so there's gonna be this fourfold death of sons. So one is this child that was just born to Bathsheba, who's gonna die by illness. And then next is going to be Amnon, who's going to be killed by Absalom because of what happened with Tamar. And then there's going to be Absalom, who's going to be killed by, I think it's Joab in the rebellion. And then later on, when Solomon becomes king, he's going to kill Abijah. I think that's his name. Um, Or is it Adoniram? Oh man, I'm having a brain toot here. But it's going to be the other son of David who tries to become king before solomon and then there's this thing about a woman abishag and solomon ends up putting his older brother to death there but there is in the story of four full death of david's sons who died by the sword or by unnatural causes three by the sword one by um an affliction, affliction here so there is like this justice where david pronounced his own justice on himself and the lord upheld it all right verse 15 then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore David, and he became sick. And David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted, and went in, and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day, so this is the seven days of fasting, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him what the, that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he didn't listen to us now then can we say to him the child is dead he may do himself some harm but when david saw that his servants were whispering together david understood that the child was dead and david said to his servants is the child dead and they said he is dead and then david arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the lord and worshiped him okay so here we see again this is david showing his his heart it's almost like the real david is back um the lord has said this child's going to die but david intercedes kind of like moses back in the day when the lord said i'm going to destroy israel and moses intercedes Um, david david comes up like a high priest and he fasts and prays thinking perhaps the lord will have mercy Uh, but the judgment comes through the child does die and david doesn't go into despair but accepts it from the hand of the lord he accepts it and so he stops his fasting and this reminds me a little bit of paul when paul says three times i pleaded with the lord that he take the storm from me but the lord's answer was no my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness and sometimes there is a no sometimes you pray for god to change things and instead of the thing not happening god sends you through it and really, the rest of Samuel is the story of the consequences of what David did with Bathsheba. That's the story of the rest of his life, really, is the conflicts and the judgments of God on him because of what happened. And so David still will have some moments of faith. He'll, he's, he's a bit of a defeated man after this, where he he doesn't take action times when he should take action. But this is the rest of the story of 1 Samuel. And the beginning of Kings is the consequences of what happened with David and Bathsheba working their way out. Verse 21. Um, I'm not sure if I read the end of verse 20, so I'll start in verse 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they said, food before him, and he ate. And then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, and that the child may live. See, he, he was trying to be a man of faith again, and recovering his faith in the Lord. But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And so he, he's content. He he uh, accepts this thing from the hand of the Lord after seeking him out. So it's it's faith on both ends. He he fasts in faith, God might have mercy, and then he can accepts in faith. Verse twenty four, and here's some kindness from the Lord. Here, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him, and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. So here is God's mercy after the child dies. The Lord allows David to conceive another son with Bathsheba and decides just to love him and sends Nathan. Nathan came with the judgment and now Nathan's being sent with grace. He calls his name Jedidiah, meaning beloved of the Lord. That's what that name means. Verse 26. Now, Joab fought against Rabbah of the Amnites, and took the royal city. And Joab sent messages to David, said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I've taken the city of waters and then gather. Now, then gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city to take it. Lest I take the city called by my name. So now we get the undoing of David staying at home. Joab's like, I'm about to win. Why are you still at home? Come here. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown from their, their King from his head and weighed, it out as a talent of gold and it was and in it was a precious stone and it was placed on david's head and he brought out the spoil of the city a very grand, great amount and he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns and thus he did to all the cities and the ammonites then david and all his people returned to jerusalem okay so this brings together like a completion of the story The story started at the beginning of chapter 11 with um, the people going out to war and David not going with him. And now they're about to complete that battle against the Ammonites. And David is summoned out to go defeat them. And you're meant, I think you're meant to feel like a dissonance here. What I mean by that is, in one sense, we have a story where it's revealed that God is still with David. He has victories over his enemies. He's granted this crown with a jewel in it. He has great spoil from the city. And the people who had dishonored him back in chapter 10, I think, with Hunan, remember that? Hunan was that nine or ten? Started this whole thing and dishonored him and started this war with the Syrians and all that junk. Now, this part of the story is being brought to conclusion with the defeat of the Ammonites and their forced labor. Um, And so, all the people come back, and now this story has come to a conclusion. However, you have this pronouncement of judgment hanging over David that's going to start working its way out so that even in one sense publicly there's been this restoration David's kingship is still intact now we're going to start seeing repercussions of what happened there and David's going to have many faith challenges, and his sons are going to start taking over more of the storyline here. Um, their activity is going to be what's driving the story, and David's going to be more responding to the activity of his sons than leading his his kingdom, but this is a major transition in the book of Samuel's, the uh, book of 2 Samuel, the book of all the Samuels, where David's fall with Bathsheba comes to a conclusion, the story about, that explains the latter Part of David's life comes to a conclusion, and now we start dealing with the outworkings of these things. All right. So, what do we take away from this? We want to take away the highlight that God is a God of justice, and He He He's He's a father. He cares about His children. He cares about their hearts, and He is uh, able to discipline. But what we can also have faith in is the same way that David's sins were put away from him, so that. He wasn't destroyed by his sin, but God had mercy on his sin. Uh, so God does to us through Jesus. We are forgiven because God put away our sins. And so that even when we need correction, even when we need, need discipline, it is done within the forgiveness of God. And that gives us hope that we don't uh, we don't quit on God because he's not quitting on us. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.